Aren't you thankful for his report? Hallelujah. Man, we've not heard enough of the devil's report. Thank the Lord for his report because his report, you know, it's full. God's report is full of truth. The devil's is full of facts. We're not looking at the facts tonight. We're looking at the truth. Thank God we have the truth. Amen. Well, it's certainly great to be home. We've had a tremendous time. Uh, there were Brother Craig Boer in the church there, and they, he sends his greetings, he and Sister Anna and the believers there. And we also uh, stopped by Brother Sean Martins and spoke for him this past weekend and had a tremendous time with him and the believers there, and they send their greetings as well. Uh, but we're, we're certainly glad to be back with home, home folks. Come on, home folks. Amen. We're glad to be back. The kids are like, we're missing our friends. I'm like, we are too. We're going home soon. But we're here tonight and we want to, uh, let's just, before we go to the word, let's just ask the Lord to, to bless our service tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can be home amongst our family and our friends, our local church, Father, on an oasis, Lord. A big oak tree, Father, that we can come back now and just sit under for a little while and just be refreshed from the travels, Lord, of giving out of the word, Father, week after week. And Lord, we're certainly thankful to be home this weekend. And Lord, but we're also here at our post of duty tonight. And God, and I'm just asking that we would find favor with you, Lord, that you would come by and speak to us tonight. Lord, anoint our lips to speak the things that you would have to be said. Anoint our ears to hear, Father, exactly what you would have us to hear tonight. And God, may there just be a, a unity of spirit tonight, Lord, in the giving and the receiving of the word. And Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you right now. Lord, we just surrender our abilities. Lord, our thoughts to you, and we just ask that you would be the minister tonight, Father. These are your children. These, you know what their needs are, and we just pray, God, through the ministering of the word, that you would meet their needs tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to look here in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 8. We'll start there. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 8, and we'll read down through verse 18. And for a title... Uh, you're going to be shocked. I'm not speaking on God does impossible math tonight. <clears throat> but I want to speak to you on it's not over yet. Amen. It's not over yet. Amen. I know sometimes we feel like it is, but it's not over yet. Amen. The Bible would tell us we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. Now, how many can say amen to that? Amen. Should be a unanimous amen. Uh, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we, for we which live are always delivered unto the death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with him. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but a for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, 
While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God bless you. You can have your seats tonight. I also want to look here in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, just one scripture. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, and it reads like this. Be sober, otherwise don't be drunken on the cares of the world. Be sober, <clears throat> be vigilant, don't be lackadaisical, but be studious about uh, what we're facing today because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And the word devour there means to drink down, to swallow up. But we find and we know that as, as long as we're in these bodies, in this world, we're going to face trouble. Amen. Amen? This life is full of hardships, but the Bible would tell us, though the outward man the physical body perish, the inward man or the hidden man of the heart, the spirit man is renewed day by day. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed. Though the outward man is enfeebled and grows old, the inward man is strengthened. Though the outward man grows old and he decays and his health deteriorates, the inward man renews its strength day by day. He renews his youth and it's invigorated day by day. But there are times in our life that it feels and not only feels that way, but we're troubled on every side. And we will look at this portion of scripture here because I want to focus on this just for a few minutes this morning or this evening rather. The Bible will tell us we're troubled on every side. Now, this this, this, these, these two scriptures here, Paul is, is bringing an allusion to the games, the Olympic games that they had in Corinth there. And it's, uh, he's contesting of a wrestling match. And he would say, we're troubled on every side or we're, we're tightly grasped on every side. And many times it seems like the devil has us exactly where he wants us. But the Bible would also say, though we're troubled on every side, we're not distressed. We're not as those that have no hope or we're, we're not as those that have no way of escape. Though we're grasped on every side and it seems like the devil has us right where he wants us, we still have a hope, brother and sister. We still have a way of escape because we serve a living God. The Bible would also tell us we're perplexed. We're perplexed. And sometimes you don't know that we're perplexed there. It means sometimes you don't know what to do. Now, how many can put your hand up and say amen to that? You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what this next step. You don't know what course to steer. But we find here, the Bible will tell us, though we don't know what to do next, we're not in despair. We're not as, as those that are in a complete loss or they have no hope at all. But we still have a hope, and our hope is in Jesus. And the Bible would also tell us that we're persecuted or we're pursued from place to place to place to place. And yet we're not forsaken. We're not abandoned. You've not been deserted. For the word would tell you in this hour that, that he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And no matter what you're going through, no matter the trial that you're in, the light of afflictions, you got to know and you got to believe and you got to trust that God is still there. Though you're troubled on every side, he's still there. Though you're perplexed and don't know which way to turn, he's still there. Though you're persecuted and you're sought after, the devil has, has got every gun in hell trained on you, he's still there. You've not been forsaken. God hadn't given up on you. And though you're cast down 
Otherwise, though you're dashed into pieces, I want you to know you're not destroyed. What does that mean? It means that a believer's going to rise again and they're going to live to fight another day. You may be feeling like you're cast down this evening, but I want you to know God is putting something on the inside of you that'll rise up again. It ain't over yet. It ain't over till God says it's over because why God put a seed there and that seed's going to rise to the occasion. So we find just here in these few scriptures that there's, there's a negative connotation, but the Bible never, never, never says that the believer is defeated. But no, it says we're going to rise to live again, rise to fight another day. So we know that the Bible would also tell us in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice we're in a wrestling match. We're in a fight. This ain't some easy believism. Some of you older folks can attest to it. It's been a struggle. It's been a match. It's been a, some days you have good days. Some days you have bad days. Some days you feel like the victor. Some days you feel like the victim. But he says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not strong in the church, not strong in some man's idea, but strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That's the cunning arts, the deceits, the craftiness, the trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Notice what we're wrestling against. Not flesh and blood. Not brother and sister, husband and wife, children, parents. We're not wrestling against those things. But we're wrestling against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, our heavenly places. So we're wrestling, we're contesting, and, and these angels or the, the, these spirits that we're contesting with, one would say that it was the heavenly angels who, who were once in their heavenly place, but they, they fell at, the, at, at Lucifer's deception, and now they're fighting to keep you from that place. And so we're not fighting flesh and blood, but now we're fighting chief rulers, chief devils, authoritative devils, emperors of darkness. And we're fighting against spiritual wickedness in a heavenly atmosphere because their desire is to keep you from creating an atmosphere in this church. But to keep you from creating an atmosphere in your home, to keep you from having an atmosphere in your job or on your job or at your school. And those devils will fight you and fight you and fight you. But we're not warring against flesh and blood, but we're warring against these wicked enemies but I want you to know brothers no matter what we're facing on this side of eternity God is there God will always be there you got to recognize his approach you got to recognize when he's there and you got to give worship to that God we find now many people even believers even Christians wrestle against anxieties well that's not flesh and blood you wrestle against anxieties. You're wrestling against fears. Many believers are wrestling against depression, especially young people, or demon oppression. Some are com- contending with the spirits of suicide. Just give up. Take your life. These are not flesh and blood battles. If they were flesh and blood battles, we could go down to the, the nearest army store and pick up some things and maybe help better equip ourselves, fortify our home, fortify our life, put on all this steel and all this armor. But that's not what we're fighting. Because even on your way to church this evening, some of y'all were fighting devils. 
Some of you maybe even right now are fighting depression or fighting oppression. Some of you may even be contending with the demon of suicide. Some of you would fear and anxieties and worry and guilt and all these things. But God has provided you protection. Not only a defensive protection, but he's also given you this word as an offensive weapon to use against your enemy. My brother Brown tells us in putting, whole, putting on the whole armor of God, he says, we don't wrestle with toeholds. That's a wrestling move. We don't wrestle with toeholds, flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual powers. Amen. Yes. See, we're not wrestling against natural, scientific things. We're wrestling against spiritual powers. Right. He says, now, Wrestlers practice on breaking toeholds and things, but you don't break these toeholds. No, could, he says, could you imagine a wrestler come out now, my, with his fingernails polished, his trunks all with all kind of gold beads around it, look like a pretty good wrestler. He gonna really win, ain't he? Gold beads and fingernails polished. But see, he said, that's only intellectual. See, if he hadn't got the hidden strength there, then when the enemy gets a toehold on him that he can pull out of it, his intellectual beads around him and everything don't make much difference. See, the devil don't care how much you can quote. He doesn't care how much you can recite. He doesn't care that you can confess that you believe God sent a prophet or you believe God sent a messenger in this hour or you believe the message of the hour. He's more concerned with can you live it. That's what he's concerned about. That's what he's wrestling against you about. It's not how you put on and dress up. No, so all of our intellectual means nothing if there isn't a hidden power of the Holy Spirit there to break the hold of the devil. That's why we have youth meetings. That's why we have youth camps. That's why we have, uh, we, we want to create an atmosphere of worship to where the Holy Spirit can come down and people can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because it's got to be more than just intellectual doctrine. It's got to be more than intellectual words. It's got to be more than just, you know, pleasant preaching. It's got to be more than those things. It's got to be where the hidden man comes and tabernacles to heart. And your life begins to be changed. And the things that you used to struggle against, you don't struggle anymore. Because why? Now there's somebody there to help you fight the battle. Brother Bam said, now, we're wrestling. We're in a wrestling match. We're wrestling not with fine dress, intellectual psychology. We're wrestling with the power and the promise of God, which can break hold on any devil any time. We're not preaching. Look, let me tell you, we're not preaching psychology behind this pulpit. We're not preaching how to study the mind and get you to do one thing to manipulate you here, to manipulate you here so that you do something different and hopefully it works and you overcome whatever you're going through. No, we're preaching to you a living God. We're preaching to you a gospel that has power to break the back of the enemy. We're preaching to you about a gospel that can destroy cancer and send it running. We're preaching to you a gospel that has power over alopecia and can send it running. That's what's being preached here. It's not an intellectual psychology, but it's the power of God. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not just, and let me tell you, it may come with emotion. It may come with excitement, but at least it's coming. And when it comes, all that we want to do is yield to and say God touch me give me the power give me the fortitude give me the anointing that will break the yoke of the enemy he says now the Lord proved it when he was Emmanuel God himself made flesh among us 
And when he met Satan, to show that Satan could be defeated by the word, every time Satan would come to him, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. But many times when we find ourselves in that toehold, it takes a long time before we finally say it is written, isn't it? We struggle, we anguish, we try to do it on our own. But as soon as we commit it to God, say, it is written. You know, you're perplexed. What do I do now? You're perplexed, but not forsaken. It is written. He says, and he defeated Satan on the word of God. That shows that you can defeat Satan on the word of God. Some of you here tonight need to just throw your hands up and say amen to this because you got needs, you got struggles, you got family situations, you got kids not, need, not serving the Lord, you got things where you need a living God to respond to that need. And you say, you should throw your hands up and say, I believe the word tonight. I believe that it is written for my young person. I believe it is written for my loved one. I believe it is written that by his stripes I'm already healed. Not an event in the future, but right now in this service tonight, the atonement has been paid. I'm already healed. I'm already delivered. I'm already set free. Why? Because I'm confessing what it is written about. Notice he would tell us no matter the word of God will defeat Satan any, any place, anywhere, under any conditions. So any place, it doesn't matter where you are, it's going to defeat him. Anywhere, it doesn't matter. Under any conditions, he doesn't care. This word will defeat your enemy every time. Notice, if it's in the belly of a whale, if it's in a lion's den, if it's on a bed with cancer, if it's laying yonder, bleeding to death, in an automobile accident, the word of God will defeat Satan anywhere. And the weakest Christian can use it. It's your God-given privilege. Oh, aren't you thankful that the weakest Christian tonight? Because there's times you don't feel like the giant Christian. You don't feel like the mighty David. You don't feel like the great conqueror. There's times you feel like the weakest among us. But I want you to know tonight, he's even given you the weak believer tonight. He's given you his word, and he's given you the authority to use it tonight. And all you got to do is say, it is written, Satan. It ain't over yet. You may try to put this on me and put that on me, but I want you to know it is written. My God is still here. My God still saves. My God still fills with the Holy Ghost. My God still delivers. My God still sets free. It is written this evening. And what you're going to find is you'll slide yourself out of that toehold and you'll put the devil in one. But it takes a hidden man of the heart. You can't do it with your carnal, your carnality. You know, Peter tried to do it. What did he do? He cut a man's ear off. And just a few hours later, he denied the Lord three times. But he was going to do it. He was going to fight. He was going to prove that he's going to stand with God. And many times we make that bold statement. And we find it brings us shame and, and discomfort. But So it takes more than just our carnal thinking. Romans 8 and verse 5 will tell us, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. That means eternal separation from God. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
Because a carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. Oh, I don't know if y'all heard that. Y'all tired tonight? But you are not in the flesh. He just told you the carnal mind, the flesh, the mind of the flesh cannot please God. But you tonight, believer, you tonight, son, you tonight, daughter of God, you're not in the flesh. You're not of the carnal thinking. Why? Because he tells you, but you are in the spirit. I say, praise be to God tonight. Though I feel, I didn't feel like coming to church. I drug my old sorry hide anyway, and I'm going to get in the spirit. And I'm not worried about what this carnal thinking thinks about the service. I'm getting myself in the spirit to where I can be changed by the anointing of the word Amen. notice now if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of his so to be carnally minded is to mind the things of the flesh right. to follow the in- inclinations of the flesh or the corrupt propensities of our nature to yield to the desires of this unconverted beast that we're living with And what does it do? It brings death, eternal separation, eternal ruin. But to be spiritually minded, to cultivate the graces of the Spirit, and to submit to His influence, to be spiritually minded is to seek the things that please God. That's That's why you're here tonight. It's to seek the things that please God. And what does it do? It tends to life, to eternal life. Not separation, not eternal separation, but it, it, it gives you life and your focus and you begin to cultivate the graces of the Spirit to where He can guide you, He can lead you, He can nudge you, and you're in this tune with the Spirit. This past Sunday, I, was, I had two services Sunday and I had no idea what I was going to speak for the second service. But just before I stepped out for the morning service, the Lord laid a thought on my heart and I knew I hadn't looked at it in months And the Lord said, preach that this evening. So you have to be able to move by the Spirit. And we preached that that evening, and the presence of the Lord just came down. And they had a prayer line, and and different ones came, and they were delivered and set free. And and Brother Sean was just weeping as he's watching different ones of his congregation come up and be touched. They weren't touched by a man, but they were touched by the Spirit of God. Because a man of God can yield his spirit to the Spirit of Christ and tender to the things of God. Now, I could have said, no, I was going to preach something that I've already studied out. But no, you follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is telling us that we're in a battle, church. And using your carnal thinking, it will never win. Using your brute, your brawn, some of you, your intellect, you'll never win the battle using your own human ability. It's impossible. I'm not saying you can't use your muscles for the glory of God. Figure out how, do it. Your intellect, figure out how, do it. Unfortunate, I can't do it. We're not leaning on our own human ability. We're leaning on God. And I'd rather that people would lean on God than they use their own humanistic abilities because then they can get puffed up and lifted up. That's why Paul was given a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. Romans 12 and verse 1. So the only way for us to win the battle, the only way for us to please God is to be spiritually minded. Is that all right? Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So here we have 
the instructions of what we need to do. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed or fashioned in the same pattern as the world, but be ye transformed. The word transformed there means to be metamorphed. My, think about it. Completely changed like a butterfly. You may walk in and you may be just a caterpillar one moment, but you spin a cocoon and just a few weeks later, all of a sudden you come out as a beautiful butterfly. You metamorphed. And you may walk in off the street. You may look like a sorry old no good for nothing caterpillar. But you sit there long enough and spin a cocoon around you. Let that word continue to wrap you up in it. And all of a sudden in a few months you'll leave out as a beautiful butterfly. As a son and daughter of God. Why? Because you've not been conformed to the outside thinking of the world. But you've been transformed by the what? By the renewing of the mind. And that's what Paul is telling us. That way you may be able to prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. We're going to to look at this mind for a minute. Now it says, but the natural man or the animal man or the beast man receiveth not the things of the spirit for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is, is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is is judged by no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have what? The mind of Christ. Not the mind of a man, not the mind of a doctor, not the mind of an ideology, not the mind of sociology or psychology or some self-help program or some great doctor of divinity. We have the mind of Christ. I'm bringing this to you for a purpose for later on in the message this evening. So what we yield our minds to, what we think on, what we meditate on, generally our actions will soon follow. If you yield your minds to doubt and unbelief, you'll walk in a defeated state. If you yield your minds to depression, you'll live in a depressed, defeated, living below your God-given privileged state. You will come in and you will have your head wagging, like Brother Jewel say, the wowsy, wowsy woos. Everybody's against you. Nobody's for you. You're depressed and you want everybody else to pat you on the back and feel part of your pain and part of your sympathy. Because why? Because that's what you're yielding your thoughts to. See, Paul instructs us so in Philippians 4 on the things that we should think on, the things that we should digest into our spirit. Philippians 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, not factual, but true. Whatsoever things are honest, not false, but honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of a good report. If there be any virtue or strength, if there be any praise, think on these things. But we find many times we think and we dwell and we meditate on the affliction. Or we dwell on the situation and you can't change it. But the human nature, this 
flesh, carnality, wants to dwell on that. It wants to try to make a change. But that's not what we're told to do. He says, if there's any virtue, if there's any strength, if there's anything that's lovely and of good report, think on the things of God. God has given you over, uh, what was it, 8,000 something promises that you can think on, that you can grab for yourself, and you can be an occupier of the promise of God instead of being there and sitting on the outside of the camp wondering, will I ever make it in? And I'm all depressed and I'm all down. No, take the word of God. The joy of the Lord is the believer's strength. That's what we should meditate on and dwell on and think about what did God do in this hour? God thought so much of you that he sent you a messenger. That he sent you a message to call you out so that your mind wouldn't be deluded. Your mind wouldn't be corrupted by the atmosphere of the world against the spiritual wickedness that we're facing. But God has given you a word and that word, brother and sister, will defeat your enemy anytime any place, on any grounds, at any condition. Think on these things. Dwell on these things. Quit looking at the hospital room. Quit looking at the doctor's report and look to what the Word says about it. Philippians 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind that was in Christ. When you let the mind that was in Christ come and stabilize your thinking, you'll quit thinking like a defeated person. You'll throw your shoulders back, realize I'm a son of God. Beloved, right now, not tomorrow, not next week, not at our special camp meeting, not when you go to a youth camp in Ohio, right now, you're sons of God. What manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we right now, even in our miserable condition, even when we things aren't going our way, that doesn't matter. He still calls you. He still anointed you. He still placed you. And right now, though all that's against you, you're a son and daughter of God. I say, oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. It ain't over yet. The devil can stack the, the facts against you, but that don't matter. We're not looking at facts. We're looking at truth tonight. When you have the mind of Christ, you'll quit thinking like a defeated person. You'll quit walking like a defeated person. You'll quit talking. Oh, my. There's one for the ages, ain't it? When you find that defeated person, they corner you in, the, in that bathroom 30 minutes later. And you're like, oh, why in the world did I step in there? Because somebody is walking and talking and thinking like a defeated person. And you notice the people that walk, talk, and think like that, they want you to walk, talk, and think like that too. They're looking for a buddy to join them in their misery. Don't sign up for it, church. But the mind of Christ, let's think about this. He knew his position. He knew his purpose. He knew that no devil of hell had a chance against him. With the mind of Christ, you realize that you're the head, not the tail. Come on, somebody. You realize you're going up in a rapture, not down into a grave or into hell. No, why? Because you have the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ will empower you to walk by faith and not by what you see, not by what you feel, not by what you taste, but you'll walk believing, trusting, and giving God everything. God, I may not know what's going to happen next, but I'm believing for the right step, Lord, that you're going to lead me, that you're going to guide me, that wherever you are, Lord, I'll be there. And you know what faith will do? Faith will look the devil right straight in the eyes and say, it ain't over yet. Faith will look the devil in the eye and say, is that all you got? 
I was expecting a little bit more out of you than that. You say, oh, Brother Joe, you shouldn't talk like that to the devil. Well, why not? He talks like that to me. My goodness, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Give it back to him. We said, now, we're in the last days. This is Brother Branham now. Christ is revealed in his own word. We're in the last days and the last hours of the days. Right? He says, do you see him now in his word? And all of his word may manifest right here before us. Now, he's asking you a question. Do you see him now in his word? If there ever was an age that could see him in the revealing and the manifestation of his word, it has to be this hour. It has to be this church, not just even like, but the church of God. Because what are we seeing? We're seeing cancer defeated. We're seeing miracles after miracles. We're seeing the word. We're seeing signs and wonders. We're seeing the same things that he did. There's a body on earth tonight that is doing the very same things. Notice now, the church of the living God, get to your feet. Believe him with all that's in you. Hold to that little wheel in the middle of the wheel. Let it stabilize every move, every emotion that you make, every thought that you have. May it be controlled by the tower on the inside of you. God is setting right in his word of this hour, in the evening light, showing forth the light. So now the stabilizers, he says, has been put on the ship. He's given you the stabilizers. Great fearful waves are out here before us. But we know just beyond that wave yonder, we're nearing the shore. Oh, there's a wave that we're all approaching. But with every wave, we're getting closer and closer. He says, we're nearing the shore. Just stay stable. Just stay in the word. Stay with God. No matter how you feel. No, I didn't feel like coming to church tonight. Well, no matter how you feel. Well, I don't like you preaching. No matter how you feel. You shout to me. I don't care. No matter how you feel. It ain't based on how you feel. There's some things about you I may not like. But we're not going to get into that right now. Because it's not based on how you feel. You know your feelings are a lie to you. That should be a resounding amen that can be heard in Menden. The devil, the prophet of God said, the devil can beat you around the stump on your feelings. And the sad part is that he has done it to every one of you here. He has done it to all of us. He beat you around on your feelings. And your feelings and give you complexes and give you doubts and give you this and make you feel a little bit about this person and about that person. And then you just, man, we feel awkward. Because it's all feelings. And that may be facts. You say, oh, but it ain't truth. All right. He says, but your stabilizer is right straight in the word. See, God said it would be here. We will crest every one of them. Yeah, we will go right over the top of them. Yes, indeed. They can't sink us. They can't drown us. You put us in a grave and we'll come out again. Come on, that's just all there is to it. There ain't no way in the world to keep it down there. We'll crest every one of them because our great chief captain is calling at the other side. Church, God is giving you the stabilizer to stabilize your thinking so you don't get caught up in the politics of the world, so you don't get caught up in all the sin and debauchery and everything that's falling apart around you. God don't want you caught up in that. God is 
given you the Holy Ghost to stabilize your thinking. And he's given you everything that you have need of. To crest every wave. To manage every trial. To defeat every sickness. Now Genesis 3 and verse 1. We're going to go to the beginning. Now the spirit was more subtle. Than any beast of the field. Or the serpent. Excuse me. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, had God said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. You know, he tells you the same thing. He always throws an extra word in there to make it mean something that it doesn't mean. For God doeth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open. Notice, he's telling me, if you do this, you'll be as a God. Your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know, you're going you're gonna to be as God's knowing good and evil. And when the woman, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So this scene right here, Changed the entire course of humanity. Because God's original plan was for man to come by the spoken word. But Eve listened or she entertained the lie of the devil. And regarded it over that of her husband. And because of that. And she gave to her husband and he partook of it. Now we bypassed our theophany body. And we come in this glorious body of sin. And everybody said hallelujah. I got my new ache. I got a new pain. You woke up today a day older, a minute older. You got arthritis kicking you right there where you don't want to be kicked. And you're aching and your neck. I mean, my goodness, you can hardly turn your neck. You can hardly move your knees. You got cancer. You got this. We got that. We got this. Oh, praise God. That's exactly what we were looking for. We signed up for it, didn't we? No, we didn't. See, but it's all because Eve entertained the lie of the devil. And we bypassed our theophany. Genesis 2 and verse 17 says, But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof. For in the day that you eat thereof, you must surely die. And every ache, every pain is evident of death. Every headache, every struggle you face is an evident that this scripture is a reality. And so the only way for us to escape the death sentence is to get back to the tree of life. But Satan says, I got him. There's no way back. I got her to partake of this, and she gave to her husband. He wasn't even strong enough to resist. But that's not how the prophet would tell us. He said Adam took her back. He knew exactly what he was doing, but he did it anyway. See, Adam was typing Christ. She was a part of him. He was willing to take her responsibility upon himself. He would not let her go. And he says, now, so Eve conceived by him. He knew she would. He knew exactly what would happen to the human race. And he sold the human race into sin that he might have Eve because he loved her. See, Adam, our first father, sold us into the slavery of sin. Nothing we had to do with it. We were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, coming to the world speaking lies. Now, I know some of you have had babies, and you think, man, that baby's a cherub, and it ain't never lied. It ain't ever had a bad thought. It never done a bad deed. Well, that's a lie. 
We all come in sin. We all shaped in iniquity. We all have done something wrong. The Bible says we all come short of the glory of God. But see, Satan and his demons will remind you every day that you're born in sin. He reminds you every day, you did this, you did that. See, you were born in sin. I didn't say you were a sinner yet today, but you were born in sin, and you didn't have any choice in the matter. Adam sold us into sin. sin. And Brother Adam would tell us here in the cruelty of sin and the penalty that it costs to rid sin from our lives, he said when she looked at Adam, her long hair hanging down her back. Notice this scene now. The fall has taken place, and Satan is rejoicing, I got him. I got them to fall. I got them to commit sin. I got them to bypass the theophany. I got Adam to step out of eternity and to step into the realm of time. Now I got them. And the only thing that is left is death. Now they're going to die because God already gave a word that the day you eat thereof, that day you shall die. And Brother Bramble tells us now, he says, when she, Eve, when she looked at Adam, her long blonde hair hanging down her back, those big bright blue eyes that looked like the skies where God had made them tears pouring down, mixing with blood on the garments and flapping around upon their body. Adam with his strong body, he caught her and he leaned her over into his bosom and there with the tears mingling and falling as it run through the sheepskins, blood dripping down, blood all the way there, there now. He says, you have to depart my presence. What a scene. What a scene. God evicting his own kids. His first creation, his highest form of creation, evicted them out of his garden. See, they were being forced out because of sin, because of a choice, because she entertained the lie. And it looked like the entire human race was doomed. There was no way back. The race, the human race was sentenced to death. Man had fallen and the only thing that was left was death. But God said, it's not over yet. God looked down. He said, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. I have the final say in how this story will end. And we find in the same message, he goes, I, he goes, I can see the great space begin to move together like this, coming down to a little funnel shape like that. And it moved right down as he began to eye that little couple going through the Garden of Eden, bloody skins flopping against her leg. He couldn't stand it. And it moved down and oh, it moved down to the very heart of God spelled L-O-V-E. God so loved. He just couldn't see them go. And he called them back and he said, I'm going to put him between thy seed and the serpent seed and he said when did he do that he did it at Calvary Satan said I got him Satan said they committed sin Satan said they're under a destiny but God said it ain't over yet I'll provide a sacrifice God made a way that a sinful man can once again come back in the presence of a living God Satan thought he had the human race conquered. He got man to sin, got him to use his reason and all these other things. But God accepted a substitute. And I say, praise be to God. God accepted a substitute for man in the Garden of Eden. And that was the way of a blood sacrifice. Satan thought he had you tonight. But God still accepts a blood sacrifice. See, the only way that God receives his children back is by by a blood substitute. We find in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no remission of sin. So it has to be by blood. 
Now, Brother Branham would tell us in the fundamental foundation of our faith, if Satan by his power can make his laws work in man, how much more ought God with his power make his laws work in man? Satan says, you go to the doctor, you get a doctor's report, you believe that report, his law will begin to work in your mind, and you would match that report. But what about God's law? God's law said, by his stripes, you're already healed. Now, if your mind can look at that and believe that and take that and pull that into your heart, then your body will obey that, and God's law will be made manifest in your life, and you'll overcome cancer. You'll overcome that sickness or whatever it is that you're fighting against. See, we're living in a day, church, where we don't want just preaching intellectual messages. We want the Word of God to be made manifest. And you know what happens? The Word, when it's become manifest, it creates a little bit of emotion. It creates a little bit of excitement. Let me just say, it creates a lot of excitement. And when others look on it, they criticize it. Because they don't understand it. Because they're they're not caught up in the atmosphere of what's stirring the emotion. And they throw off on it. In one place, Brother Bam talked about that little Benjamite or whatever he was there when David was leaving, when he was running from Absalom. And instead of this guy, you know, singing David's praises because he was the king, he was, you know, just throwing off on him. And he said he was throwing dirt on him. And that's a lot about what some of we've been doing is having dirt thrown us. And we're, throwing, we're having a dirt throwing contest. Look, we don't need to throw dirt. All we got to do is preach this word. This word will manifest when you believe it. It'll produce the same results. It'll produce the same healing. It'll produce the same deliverance. It'll go after your prodigals. It'll do the work that it says it'll do because somebody's going to take that law of God and if Satan can make his law become manifest, what about believers in the law of the word of God? See, God is looking for somebody that'll make this word work, that'll put it to life and that'll make it do what it says it will do. See, Satan can make his own laws work in man saying, what about God? Put that first picture up, Lauren, if you would, please. See, Satan wants to tell you it's over. And you look at an individual like this, you don't want to meet this guy in the back alley, do you? Skinhead, running from the law, life of sin, life of drugs, burglary, larceny, I mean, all kind of rap sheet a mile long. Grew up in church. Grew up in a message church. Grew up in a message church. Believing God sent a prophet. Sitting where you've sat. Heard the same word that you've heard. And yet look at him. Walked out on God. Walked out, walked into drugs, walked into alcohol, walked into this and walked into that next picture. And you find right here, here's his wife. Here she is, skinny. They were skin and bones. And yet she was introduced to drugs at nine years old. And she was a practicing atheist. You would have never gave him a chance. I would have never gave him a chance. But God said it ain't over yet. God says, I got the final say. Next picture. And they walked into the house of God one day. Because God put a seed on the inside. And God knows what he's going to do when that seed is there. And they get in the right presence. The devil may stack the facts against you. They may have done drugs. They may have been an atheist. But let me tell you, brother, when you walk into the presence of God, God's able to change your life. It ain't over until God says, it's over. Now she, an atheist, is teaching Sunday school. Checkmate, devil. Now him who once stole and burglarized and did drugs, he's a trustee of a church. 
You tell me that God has the final say. I say, yes, he does. Don't you ever give up on the promise. Don't give up on your prodigals. We're thinking about Brother Philip. We're thinking about Brother Justin. Those that were running from the Lord, you can cut it down. Running from the Lord. And Satan said, it's over. You gave up hope. Mom and dad gave up hope. Preachers gave up hope. Everybody gave up hope. God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, because he knows what he deposited on the inside. And he says, it ain't over until I say it's over. Oh, church, think about your situation tonight. Satan may be stacking the facts against you. He may be stacking the facts against you right now. And it may seem like there's no way you're going to make it. It may seem like you might as well give up, throw in the towel. We've all felt that way. But it ain't over yet. It's not over yet. See, God is still in control. God is still on the throne. God has you exactly where he needs you. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12... Wherefore, seeing that we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin that would so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking, not at your affliction, not at your trial, not at your situation, not at your lost loved ones, not at those in the hospital, not at this, not at that, but looking, notice now, to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the originator. Jesus is the author. Jesus is the editor. And he is also the finisher of our faith. See, this is his story. He knows how it ends. But many times we think it's about us. Well, this is about me. No, you're in his story. You're in his story. He's the author. He's the finisher. And many times we want to try to rewrite the script. You want to snatch the pen and do your own thing. We've all been there. And finally, God has to take the pen out of your hand and say, this ain't yours. I know how it ends. I know how it ends. Because he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To bring you to an expected end. See, this is God's great story. He knows what he has in store for each of you tonight. Caleb, he knows what he has in store for you. Many times you wanted to quit, but it ain't over. And you're still here. You're still plugging. You're still moving. You're still serving. You're still trusting. Because God has the final say. It ain't, it's not based on what man thinks or man says. Notice, quit trying to erase what he's been doing in your life. Yield yourself to the Spirit of God. See, quit trying to edit the word so you change the storyline. Told the church this past weekend, if it was up to me, I'd be tall, dark, and handsome, but I wasn't meant to be Andrew Glover. <laughs> I would love it. But hey, I am who I am. Tell them I'm just short and cute. <laughs> you done got to the age where you ain't good looking anymore. You ain't handsome. You just have to set up for cute. And when you start bald, ain't much you can say about bald people. They, well, maybe they're cute. <laughs> but see, Satan wants to tell you it's over. Satan's the one that wants to tell you, you might as well give up. Stop. Quit trying. Quit putting out all the effort. 
But God says it's not over yet. Put this picture up, Lauren. Next picture. How many of you know what this is? Anybody care to say it? Chess. Now, I'll dedicate this service tonight to Brother Kenneth because he's a chess player. And I'm bringing this down to a close here in the next, I'll be done in the next 15 minutes. Promise. If I don't, I don't have to preach Sunday, Aaron does. Y'all got it. <laughs> but we find chess is a game of strategy. I played chess one time in my life. I won, never played again. I figured I might as well stop when I, <laughs> hey, I went out on top. I got lucky, but whatever I did, I don't even know what today what I did, but I did it and I quit. But it's a game of strategy. And in the game of chess, every move you make is important. Every move you make is important. And every move your opponent makes is of equal importance. And the whole idea of the game of chess is to capture your opponent's king. Okay? And sometimes you have to make moves that you normally wouldn't make to get your opponent into a place to make the wrong move. But see, when your king is being threatened with capture, they call that check. And when your king can't make another move, they call that checkmate. Next picture. This is a painting here that they call checkmate. We're going to study this painting. Is this okay? I know it's, you don't want to hang this on your wall at home, right? Not really. So we find here, this painting is called checkmate. It was painted by Frederick Mortiz August Retzik. It's It depicts two chess players. Obviously, you can see one on the left is Satan. He's dressed in green, envy, and all this. And you see this young man, this young king with his head in his hands, defeated. See, chess is more, or this game that we're playing is more than just a chess match. We're playing a game of life. And every move you make has a significance behind it. So we find here, Satan appears to be arrogant. Look at him. Cunning. He's just snarling, looking at this young king. And we find that the young king has had his head in his hands. He's bewildered. And the angel that's behind him, looking down at him, is in equal distraughtness, wondering what in the world are we going to do? See, there's a legend, and I've done some study on it. There's a legend that this painting once hung in the Louvre Museum. For y'all that don't know where the Louvre is, it's in Paris. It's kind of like a Smithsonian where they put precious artifacts and you could come and you could, you could look on them. And so this one day in this Louvre Museum, there was a group of individuals, men and women, came through and in that group was an international chess champion or a grand champion. And they was going through and they looked at the Mona Lisa and they looked at this painting and that painting and the group stopped and they saw this painting called Checkmate. And for the most part, most of the group left and went on to see other aspects of the Louvre Museum. But this chess champion stopped and he stared. And he stopped and he stared and he stared and he studied the painting. See, the meaning of this, can I go into it? 
Are y'all judging me? Stop, and y'all can just uh, go on with it. Okay, good. That's what I was expecting y'all to say, or at least hoping. <laughs> See, this chessboard, if you look closely, is placed on a coffin. Life or death. Life or death. Satan is playing this young king for his soul. And every move he makes is for his soul. And young person, every move you make is for your soul. Mom and dad, every move you make is for your soul. Grandpa, grandma, every move you make is for your soul. So we find here his lion behind him has his hand on a skeleton head representing a previous victim. Nobody's ever defeated Satan. He's always been the victor. You see this little feather. This is called a little red feather. is a rooster feather. It, de- it depicts cunningness and connivingness. And it shows that he is uh, uh, very cunning. And he knows the art of chess. He knows how to play the game. He's never lost. And we find that the devils, if you could see his chess players, his king is his own conniving self. His queen is a voluptuous woman. And then all his devices or his six offices are laziness, anger, pride, falsehood, doubt, unbelief. That's his pawns. And we find that the young kings, the white ones there, they represent love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith. His pawns are the fruits of the spirit. But you look at the table and you see that the, the Satan has more of the young king's pawns than the young king has of Satan's. See, he's one of a lot of the young king's pawns. Maybe stripped him of his joy. Maybe stripped him of his faith. Maybe stripped him of long-suffering and stripped him of his peace and, you know, all the, the gentleness. Now he's agitated all the time. He stripped him of these things and no doubt... It's why he's got his head in his hands. Thinking, how did I get in this condition? What move did I make to be put here? See, this young king is in checkmate. He got no moves left. See, at the bottom, you see this black spider coming up. He's ready to spin a web for his next victim. Shows we're in a battle. And every decision you make, church, is for your soul. Every move you make has a consequence behind it. You decide not to come to church, you'll pay the consequences. You teach your kids it's not important, you'll pay the consequences. It's a move on the chessboard. And the devil's got more pieces than you do. So the devil studies your weakness. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. The adversary, the devil, is a royal, seeking whom he may devour. So he concentrates on your weakness. He will make moves to get you to make a move. He will get you to make moves based on your emotions. Get you to make moves based on your complex. Give you a complex, and then you move accordingly, and you make the wrong move. He gets you to make moves based on fear, and worry and guilt and all these things. See, 
An average chess player makes one move. He can think one move ahead at a time. That's probably all of us here tonight, right? We're average. But you take a good chess player, he can make four to five moves ahead at a time. He knows if I make this move, he's going to make this move, and I'll make this move, boom, 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 and just move, move, move. But a grand champion can make 20-plus moves ahead with one move. So he knows the board. He has studied your life for over 6,000 years. He knows what it takes to get you to move this way to that way. And many times when you're not moving and he distracts you, maybe he distracts you by women, maybe he's distracting you by money, maybe he's distracting you by popularity, maybe he's distracting you with a career, maybe he's distracting you with fame and fortune and all these other things. While you're distracted... He's still making moves. And he's still stealing your pieces. See, he will blur the lines between black and white and make everything gray. Now you've got things coming in your house that you wouldn't used to allow in your home. Now you're listening to music you wouldn't used to listen to. Now you're watching entertainment that you used to would not watch. Oh, y'all awful quiet. See, he begins to tempt you you know, the devil will tempt you into robbing a bank and then they'll call the law on you. That's right. I, you know, you think dumb devil, I'm thinking dumb you. <laughs> but that's how he does. The key to defeating the devil is believing the truth. Amen. See, the, the facts, as Sister Jessica saying, they may be stacked up against you. The facts is you're in a battle. The facts is it's for your soul. The facts is the devil's got you in checkmate. The facts is he's got more of your pieces. But the truth is it ain't over yet. The truth is that, I mean, the facts is we're troubled on every side. The facts is you're perplexed. The facts is you're persecuted. The facts is you may feel cast down tonight. But the truth is we're not distressed. The truth is we're not in despair. The truth is we're not forsaken. The truth is we're not destroyed. We're still here. Oh, no matter what the facts say, no matter what the facts show, we're still here. We're still serving. We're still moving forward. We may be in checkmate, but I'm going to tell you tonight, God says, it ain't over yet. The Bible will tell us, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you can be free indeed. Don't believe how you feel. Don't believe your emotions. Believe the truth. Believe the word. So now back to the painting, the Grand Master, because I was telling you the story of the Louvre Museum. So he studied for what seemed like seven ages. And he's looked at that painting. He's a grand champion. He's a master chess wizard, an international champion. He's undefeated too. And he's studying this. And you know, have you ever been to a fancy museum? And it's real quiet, kind of like y'all are right now. Real quiet. Well, this ain't no museum church. <laughs> Let's not turn it into one. But it's real quiet. And he's looking at this. And he's looking at this, and he's studying it. He's a chess champion. Did I tell y'all that? International, never been defeated. And all of a sudden, he breaks his silence. And he screams out, it's not over yet. It's not checkmate. It's not over. 
over and the curator of the museum runs over there. What's all this emotion about? What's all this excitement about? He says, look, I've stood here for what seems like seven church ages. And I want you to know that it's not over yet. Call that painter and tell him he's got it wrong. He needs to rename this painting. He said, what do you mean he's got it wrong? He said, look, the king has one more move. What am I telling you tonight, church? You may be back in the corner. You may be feel like giving up, but your king, he's got one more move. It ain't checkmate to you. It's checkmate to the devil. He's lost the battle. He's lost the fight. He's lost the soul that he thought he had. It ain't over, church. It's God has a final say. Our king has one more move. I say, oh, glory to God tonight. It ain't over, Satan. Brother Ron, your king, he's got one more move. Oh, church, musicians, come back. I don't know what you're going through tonight. You may have lost your job. Your finance may be in shambles. Your children may not be serving the Lord. You may be having marriage problems. But your king has one more move. You may be here and you may feel cornered. You may feel like, man, I've done everything I can do. How did I get in that position? No matter how you got there, your king has got one more move. Oh, church, he's not done healing. No, he's not done saving. He's not done delivering. He's not done restoring. He's not done setting free. He's not done filling with the Holy Ghost. Our king, he's got one more move. Notice, this painter painted that into that picture on purpose. He painted a hidden secret, Brother Jackson. He painted it like that. And many, many, many men down through the ages looked at that painting and said, there's no hope. It's checkmate. It's over. Oh, but one day, about 1960-something, probably started in the early 30s, one day the international chess champion came on the scene. And he began to go through the, oh, the famous museum of your life. And it looked like you was in checkmate because you was believing the script that the devil wanted you to believe. But the king, one day, 1963 in March, he ripped the seals off the book and said, it ain't over yet. Our king has got one more move and the next move is a body change. The next move is the going home for the bride. The next move, church, it ain't over. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, our king, Brother Andrew, he's got another move and his move is a move towards you and bring you to himself. Oh, I say hallelujah tonight. What a God we serve. What a move he's going to make. You're not defeated. You've not, been, you've not lost a battle. It's not checkmate to you. It's checkmate to him. Oh, notice what Brother Brown says. Play something soft if you don't mind. He says, now, if I bring this down to a close. He says, Adam's race was all in bondage. There they were without hope, without God, without chance, without mercy, without anything that could help them. The great enemies of the lower regions of the lost had them shut up in darkness. 
There was not a way out. There was no one could help. Nothing could be done. It looked like total, complete loss. But our hero. But our hero who came down from the portals of glory, condescending down. We stood helpless, defeated, chaos on every hand, all ununited. We could not keep the laws and ceremonies, finding their weakness and so forth. We could not do it. It seemed like the whole human race was laid waste. But then he came. Then he moved. He said, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He let them go to the fiery furnace. But when he moves, he moves. Church, I'm here to tell you tonight, no matter what you're facing, Brother John, no matter what you're facing, our king has got another move. And he's moving tonight on behalf. He knows your need. Our king's got another move. You got a need tonight? I'm here to tell you, our king, your king has another move. You may feel like you cast down, forsaken. Uh Uh-uh. Your king hadn't forsaken you. He's there. He's there. He's moving you exactly where he needs you to move, to place you on that chessboard. It's not checkmate to the believer. It's checkmate to the enemy. He says, oh, you're standing completely. You never sinned in the first place. Brother Lemuel, never. My, well, Brother Joe, I did this, and I did that. But you never sinned in the first place. See, God don't even know. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. You never did it. You were accused of it by the accuser. But really, from the beginning, you were predestinated to be a son and daughter of God. You're standing there washed. That word washed means loosed. You're washed and your old book of divorcement is put away. It's dead absolutely out of the existence. Even in the mind of God, you're the virtuous, sinless. He says, you're the virtuous bride of Christ, washed in the blood of Christ, precious, virtuous, sinless son of God, standing with a pure, unadulterated bride word that he washed of the water of his own blood. Whether it's in the lines, a den of lions, a fish of bellies, a fiery furnace, or a borrowed tomb, it may look like it's over, but it ain't over yet. Brother Kenneth, it's not over until God says it's over. God, the devil put him in a hospital yesterday, congestive heart failure. But God says, ha, not over yet. I still need Kenneth on the scene. And that may be how you feel this evening. He may be stacked up the facts against you, but the truth says it's not over yet. See, it's not checkmate to us, church. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you tonight, Lord, for the word. Lord, the devil would strip us Many of us of our joy, our peace. Lord, just continue to take our players or our pawns off the table, the chess match, Lord. Father, may we be good stewards from this point forward, Lord, as we're not relying on our own ability to play this game of life, but Lord, we're relying upon you. Lord, you're greater than an international chess champion. You're the, you're the champion of champions, Lord, the king of kings. You're the God of gods, Lord. You've never been defeated, Father. You've never gone into a battle, but what you didn't come out packing the victory. And Lord, we believe tonight that you have one more move. I'm asking, Lord, that you'd move on our behalf tonight. But Lord, move on behalf of the believer, Lord, that's willing to trust you and take you at your word tonight. Lord, though they may not feel like it, they may not see, 
Lord, that you're there. They may feel like, Lord, they're all alone. May feel that their prayers are being unanswered, but God, you're there. You're right there, Lord. You're there. It's not over yet. It's not checkmate. Father, I ask that you bless the service tonight. Bless your people, Lord, as they've been, Lord, just so attentive to the word tonight. May it just settle in their hearts, Father. Our King has one more move. We love you, Lord. We just commit this service to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.
pressing 